in the book of Mark. We're going to finish this up here. Not too uh, long about. I think we have about six more weeks. Um, I've already gotten the uh, next curriculum. We'll be doing the early parts of Genesis for the next. I've got to start getting that out and figuring out what I'm doing. I've only got 13 or uh, six weeks to sort it out. So anyway, here we are. We're in Mark. We're going to be looking at Mark uh, chapter 9. We'll pick up where we left off from the last lesson three weeks ago. So it's been a while. We're going to be in Mark 9, 17 through 29 this morning. Um, this is session 7, Jesus Strengthens. And we're going to see that Jesus strengthens uh, our faith in him. That's what we're going to see today. Wow, that just fell right off the edge of the screen. When we talk about Jesus strengthening um, our faith, it's something that we have to allow him to do. And um, it really comes down to who controls us. And the reality is, is there's only two choices. We are either under the influence of the agency of the Holy Spirit, or we're under the influence of the agency of sin. Not Satan, but sin. Um, sin is comes from within us. It is the natural human state. Um, and uh, we have to deny it. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to influence us. In order to strengthen our faith, in Christ. And we're going to look at that today as we do it. Now, just as a quick review, the lesson we had before Christmas and New Year, we ended in chapter 9. We started in chapter 8 and we finished at the, uh, I think it was like chapter or chapter 9, verse 5. And it was uh, the story of what? The Mount of Transfiguration, yeah. Jesus goes with Peter, or Peter, listen to me, wow, James. Yeah, no, I was like, Peter, I thought I said Paul. I said yeah. Peter, James, and John, and they go up on the mountain, and they witness Christ in his glorified form, chatting with uh, a couple of dudes. A couple of dudes. Yeah, Elijah <laughs> and uh, Moses. And it's interesting that they knew that it was Elijah and Moses. I mean, I, I don't know that I would look at them and go, oh, yeah, look, that's Moses. I mean, it's not even got photography back then, but they knew. Now, maybe, maybe Jesus introduced them. I don't know. You know, okay, this is Peter, James, and John. John, you know, this is <laughs> Moses and Elijah. Somehow they knew that. You ever, doesn't that ever bother you? How in the world did they know that? I mean, it was 1,000 years, 2,000 years before that they lived. And, and that, no photography, no film. I figured the Holy Spirit told them. That, that's, right. yeah, that's it could be. It yeah, could be, but the, they, they have this little powwow up on the mountain. We're going to pick up where that left off this morning. So as we come to this lesson, we're going to start in verse 14. And they come down the mountain and come back to the other disciples. Now... The mountain was just north 
of Caesarea Philippi. It's um, no, I forgot the name of the mountain. It's a really tall one, Mount Hermon. Uh, it, it's often a snow covered even in the summer. It's tall, but it's uh, just north. We we saw it off in the distance when I was there. Um, and so it, it's, a, it's a journey, it's a hike. So they come back from that. And that's what we're going to pick up with today as we come to this story. So that's just what happened. And a couple days, they, they walk back to Caesarea Philippi, and they find this scene. There we go. Uh, Mark 14, Mark 9, 14 through 20. Somebody go ahead. <coughs> Read and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked her disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought him, then they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him immediately, it convulsed, it convulsed the boy and fell on the ground and rolled out. Rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Thank you. Alright, so here we have this scenario. And when they came to the disciples, so they've come back from the mount into town, and they find the nine disciples. And they had been arguing with the scribes. Now remember, this is, we're most of the way through Jesus' ministry at this point. And he's had several confrontations with them, and he's uh, made them look a fool. Mark doesn't cover a whole lot of that, because Mark doesn't cover the teaching times that Jesus had. We don't have many of the parables listed, and the extended teaching periods where the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees come along and ask him and try to track him the question. Mark doesn't cover that. Mark deals with all the action. Well, this is one of the few times that the action is perpetrated by the scribes. They, they've got this guy to bring his son, who they believe is demon-possessed. Now, we read the description here, and our modern science would say, this kid probably suffers from what? Epilepsy. Epilepsy. Which is interesting. There is a medical condition that is epileptic. But apparently... Demon possession can also appear to be the same thing. Um, which, you know, most of our liberal scholarship today would say, Jesus didn't really heal anything, there was no real demon, and we deny all the spiritual stuff and look at this and say, see, he's just an epileptic. This was these idiots of that day, they didn't know any modern medicine, and in their lack of sophistication, they're blaming this on the demon. But that totally precludes the issue here that we are told that when they brought the boy, 
the Spirit saw him, and immediately it doesn't. What happens anytime spirits come into contact with Jesus? They recognize him and get afraid and do whatever. Right, yeah, exactly. So this is a mute spirit. And I would say that it's probably throwing a temper tantrum. <laughs> it does it knows what's coming. Yeah. It knows it's doomed. It knows it's doomed. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I mean we don't understand anything about demon possession. Like what does the demon get out of it? What, what, what's you know how how does that work? We don't understand what goes. So he throws the guy on the ground, the kid, and does it. Then we're talking boy here. We're we're probably talking teenager. Somebody 15, 16, maybe as much as 18. I mean, he's not we're not talking small child, although apparently we're gonna find out that it's been this kid's pretty much whole life that's been this way. But this boy and father are brought to the disciples by who? The scribes, he said. The scribes, right. So the scribes bring the guy. Now, which disciples is it? Jesus' disciples. Well, yes, it's Jesus' disciples. The lesser ones? Okay, the le it's, it's not Peter, James, and John, right? Right. It's the other nine. All right, the other nine are in town. Jesus took the other three and they went. So I'm trying to get the picture. So here are the nine. They didn't go with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration. And so they saw none of that. They know none of that and all that. But this is right after, remember when they got to Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked the question. What was the question he asked of the disciples? Who do they say I am? Who do they say I am? And they responded, and then he asked the second question, which was, Who do you say? Right. And who was it that first answered? Peter. Peter. Peter's the one that spoke up. And these guys all agreed with him. And then Jesus takes the other three of them, Peter, James, and John, and off they go and they do the whole Mount of Transfiguration. These guys stay there. And just as a side note um, from Caesarea Philippi, you can just write this somewhere. Um, the woman with the issue of blood that was healed by touching the hem of Jesus' garment, mm -hmm. she was from Caesarea Philippi. They actually know where her house is because Josephus chased her up to find out if it really happened. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, we got to see it. I didn't uh, put any pictures in. But they know where her house is because they know where the fountain was and she had a big house right in front of the fountain and, and all that. So the house is actually there um, wow. where it was. That's probably, I'm guessing, where they're staying um, with it, which is in the middle of town. So this whole thing is probably transpiring in front of the fountain that's there. And they come into town, and they're at the fountain, and Jesus walks up on this scenario. So put all that together, wrap that all up. There's the scribes, and they bring this guy to get his son healed, and what happens? He can't be healed. Well, the well, disciples can't heal it. Right. It's interesting that Jesus' response <laughs> is, oh, faithless generation, yeah. Failure comes from a lack of faith. There's a lack of faith by the father. Yes, I'm sure he wanted his son healed, but father wouldn't. Right. Um, but 
he's working with the scribes. Right? See this? He, he's These are the religious leaders, and they're probably... They, they, they don't think Jesus can do it. They don't want Jesus to do it. They, they're wanting to disprove him. They're using the guy, and the guy follows the religious leaders, right? Another way to trap him. Well, right. I mean, this guy, this guy's caught. If I don't follow the religious leaders, they'll put me out of the synagogue, all that. But they bring him, and so there's a failure. But there's also a second failure. What's the second? Who's second failure? The other disciples. Yeah, the other nine. Yeah. Their faith fails, but we won't understand that until we get to the end of this. But there's a failure of faith on their part. This is the disciples. This is Thaddeus, Simon, Judah, uh, Judas, and all the rest of them. So, let's pull, pull this together here. We are still in part three of our outline. Jesus is... Uh, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, um, which we've got about two more chapters, and Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem, and it begins the week of his passion. So we're, this is right towards the end of the ministry. This is, uh, he has created all the turmoil and havoc in the north, in Galilee and all of that, and he's going to begin winding his way to Jerusalem to his crucifixion. So this is probably sometime in the fall. Uh, sometime like October, November, because he's going to show up uh, in Jerusalem for that week. But he's got a lot of other stops to make, we know, from the other Gospels. So this is maybe, you know, it could be as late as December, because we know that it'll be March, April, somewhere in there, that he shows up in Jerusalem for that week. But he's going to go and come and go and come. So... He's on his way to Jerusalem. This is his probably last stop up here in the north. He's in Caesarea Philippi, and it's going to be a long, slow trek down to Jerusalem. And we find that there is a challenge. This is the, the idea. This, the scribes have brought this guy. They've thrown the gauntlet down. All right, Jesus, let's see what you can do. But Jesus isn't there. He says, they're like, all right, we know your disciples have been able to do stuff. Remember, they were sent out. And they were doing healing. They were casting out demons. And so here's nine of them together. Okay, we're going to do this. And they throw the gauntlet down. They bring the guy. They bring the boy. And they can't heal him. Jesus shows up. Now, he has just come from probably the most relaxing moment of his time on earth. He is in the presence of the Father. He has been glorified the way he belongs, and the Father speaks from heaven, declaring this to be his son, all that. He's just had that moment of respite. And he comes down the mountain, and what does he find? This is very mosaic, isn't it? Moses comes down the mountain, he sees God, then he's had all the 40 days of being in the presence of God, and he comes down, and what does he find? The people sinning. And we know what his reaction is. Well, okay, they're, they're not necessarily sinning. They are in full course of uh, disbelief. And so the scribes, Jesus is standing there. Can you do better than your disciples? Essentially is what they're saying. Can you heal him? Go on, make a move. Let's see what you got. It's a challenge to his authority as God. 
Jesus' response. <laughs> you have no faith. There's your problem. You don't believe. You don't believe in me. The problem is, isn't this child. The problem is, is that you don't believe who I keep telling you I am. And then we see the demon. The demon's response. He throws a temper tantrum. He throws the kid on the ground and begins gnashing his teeth and growling and all of that. We have the stage set. It's the Super Bowl. <laughs> Jesus on one side, backed by his disciples. The scribes and all the people on the other. Go on, your disciples can't do it. What can you do? Because, see, there's this idea that, that the disciples are as, as good at exorcisms as Jesus would be. Remember we had that uh, lesson on exorcism a few weeks back? They believe that it's the incantation <clears throat> and the objects of power that would bind the demons. And there was a whole huge argument. Remember that? What did we find out about Jesus in his exorcisms? He just basically speaks to them and they leave. Yeah. He commands them. He, he doesn't bind them. There's no incantation. There's no holy relic. Incense burning. No incense burning. <laughs> no dancing around and all that. Jesus just says, shut up, get out. And they go. You think Jesus had shut up? Uh, he, yeah, I think he probably did. Whatever the uh, Hebrew or Aramaic version. But there's, there, there's no mystical nonsense that goes with it. Which is likely, it said that they were arguing, right? Which is likely what the scribes were doing. They were arguing with the other nine over the practice of exorcism. What works best, you know, turn three times left and then two times right. And, and you know, whatever, they, whatever their belief was. And I'm sure that's what they're arguing with. And they're like, no, 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 that's not what our master told us to do. And it doesn't work out. But we see, this has nothing to do with the way it's done. This demon shows up and recognizes Jesus. Jesus. I mean, he just goes right into it. He, he, there's no, <clears throat> Jesus hasn't even done anything. They just brought the kid up. And as soon as he sees him, boom. The demon is down. Comment, question. All right, so let's get into this. Chapter 9, verses 21 through 24. Somebody, go ahead, read this. And Je go ahead. Okay. <laughs> and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. All right. <coughs> this, is, this is huge. And you read it just like I expected you would read it. Okay. Because we don't understand. He says in verse 22, 
But if you can do, this is Jesus. Do you understand the lack of faith this guy has? If you can, he has no idea who Jesus is. He has no belief in who Jesus is. Because he wouldn't use the word if, and which is what Jesus said. If you can, really? That's what you're saying to me? You brought your son, if I can. Right. This is, yeah, the, the, this is just oozing with the... Um, Sarcasm? Sarcasm. <laughs> if you can, ha, all things are possible for one who believes. You don't have any belief in me. That's your problem. This is not work. He's not interested. Now, he asked about the kid. Jesus isn't interested in a case history. He doesn't need to know the background. He knows. Yeah. He's trying to draw the father into belief. How long has this been happening? Years. His whole life. So this is not, when, when I heal him, it's not just that I healed him. This isn't a one-off. He's building this up. Jesus gently reproves the man's lack of faith in who he is. Remember, this Jesus has been doing ministry now probably two and a half years. This isn't the first demon possession case that he's resolved or healing or any of that. He's been doing this in the, in the area of Galilee two, two and a half years. They know who he is. They know what he's done. Remember the lesson before the last lesson? They went to Gentile areas. And what happened in the Gentile areas? He cast the demons into the pigs. Well, that was long back, way oh. back. But he, the lady came to heal her son. Oh, that's, okay. They, they were all the way up in, by Tyre and Sidon. I mean, they weren't just like on the edge of the Gentiles. They went into other Gentile countries because they were tired. They were trying to get a rest. And the Gentiles wouldn't leave him alone. They believed. And here's this guy. Well, you know, maybe if you could. Really? Right before they came to Caesarea Philippi, they'd been in a Gentile area, and they brought the mute guy, the deaf mute. And he took him outside and poured the oil, poured the, he pour oil in his ear? I don't remember. Whatever he did, he took him outside and did it. Yeah, he did something with his ears. I can't, I'm just not remembering. But the Gentiles knew. The Gentiles believed. They sought him out. Here's this guy. Well, you know, maybe if you, if you can. Not like if you will. He's not saying if you will. He's saying, I don't, think, I don't know that you have the ability, the power. I think my son's too far gone. And all that. He's healed dead. Remember, he's raised the dead. Yeah, he's, no, he hasn't raised Lazarus yet. That's coming. But the little girl, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know, he's healed and raised the dead. Well, I don't know if maybe you can. And that, this is why he's outraged. Jesus, what do you mean you don't believe me? And the scribes are no help. The scribes are in the background hanging this on because they don't believe. They don't want it to happen. Right. They're trying to catch him up. When we see this, why everything can be done for one who believes... This is a statement of a great biblical principle that often gets misused. We are not called to put God to the test by irresponsible believing prayer. The whole name it, claim it group. 
Um, for, you know, this whole, if you just believe uh, idea, for what may be our human desire may not be his will. See, that's the problem. We think of God as this uh, cosmic vending machine. If I pray just right, with enough faith, God will give me what I want. <coughs> right? That, that, that's often how it goes. We are to ask freely, but it's only if it's the will of God. And that's what we don't understand sometimes. Well, I prayed, God didn't do it, so I don't believe in God now. But you didn't believe in the first place. Because if you believed he has your best interest, you would accept the fact that he didn't give you whatever it is you wanted because it's not your best interest. <coughs> See, this is a, uh, this idea is a warning against taking scripture in isolation from other scripture and being presumptuous on what God's will is. We don't know. We need to be open to the fact that God may have something different for us. Health, wealth, peace, and prosperity are not promised. But somehow, particularly in our Western culture, we believe that that's what God's intent was for us. Well, that's the, the future when the, his kingdom is ushered in. We'll have health, wealth, and all that. That, that comes with the resurrection. We're not there right now. It's mostly suffering and, and following him. So here we are. This is the admission. So we had a challenge. And now the admission. The admission of the Father. <coughs> well, I don't really believe it, but if you can, would you heal him? Um, and Jesus' sarcastic response. If I can. You mean, will I? Because I have the power. I have the authority. And we see his whole discussion with the Father. And it comes down to this. Believe in me. Have faith in me. Know who I am, accept me. Why does the Father not believe? Maybe the scribes teaching. Not maybe, it is. Yeah. <laughs> the scribes have influence on this guy. Now, the scribes, remember, are the leaders. They're the lawyers. They're the representatives of the religious establishment. They're the ones that are supposed to be in the know. They have convinced this guy of how exorcisms are done. Maybe the guy came to them and said, look, I'm gonna, I want to go to Jesus and, and get this stuff. And they've convinced him he's not what you think he is. He doesn't do it properly. And they get there and the nine are there and they can't do it. Listening to the authorities nearly loses his chance to heal his son. Now, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't send him away. You know, me, I, I'd be done. 
If really get out of here, don't waste my time. Go on back, take your son, and when he burns up, it's your fault because you didn't believe in me. I mean, that's the way I'd be. <laughs> I'd be like, all done. This is two and a half years. You know what everybody said about me. <coughs> You've heard the reports. How do you not believe in me? Get out. <laughs> but that's not, that's not how Jesus has compassion. And he says to the guy, you have little faith. He humbly accepts Jesus' admonishment. <coughs> and, and it's not just an admonishment. It's an estimation of him as a person, mm -hmm. your lack of faith. And even on that basis, he realizes and pleads for God's mercy, not for what he deserves, which illustrates the whole power of the doctrine of justification. This guy does not deserve the healing of his son by Jesus, does he? Mm -hmm. But what we see here is he repents. And he says, what does he say? I believe. Help, Help my unbelief. I, I, I believe you can do it. I, I just can't. I don't have enough faith. Give me stronger faith. Strengthen it. And Jesus takes it and runs. He says, okay. All right, that's Ooh. enough. You've admitted I am and that you believe in front of all those. Now remember, the scribes are still standing there watching this whole thing. They've set this whole thing up. Because they're trying to set Jesus up for failure. And this guy, he said, look, look at me. Am I who I claim to be? And the father said, yes. I, I, I believe it. Okay, that's enough. I, I, I'll work with that. I'll strengthen your faith. I'm going to heal your son. Comment, question. This is a challenge. This is the turning point. As we come into this chapter 9, this is the turning point for Jesus because from here out it's going to be a fight all the way till they execute him it's going to be a fight with them and it's going to be an open battle if you will between the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes and all that in Jesus that, that can be any one of us here how yeah. my unbelief yeah we're, we're right we, we, but you've you got to accept it yeah. and that's what it was do you believe those scribes standing behind you in what they're telling you? Or do you believe that I can do this? Am I the Messiah? Amen. Am I the Son of God? And, and that's what the, he confronts the, the Father. Make a choice. What's it going to be? I'm either who they say I am or I'm who I say I am. You can't believe both. And that, that's it. That's the only choice we really have. We remember, go back to what I said when we started this. We're either under the influence of the Holy Spirit or we're under the influence of our sin. You can go with the you can go with the group, you can go with what the Holy Spirit's impressing upon you. Make the choice. Alright. Come on. There we go. Mark chapter 9, 25 through 29. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. 
so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus <laughs> took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. All right, we've got several parts to this that we're going to look at here. First up, I love how you read that. He's dead. I don't think that's how they, they, they did this. I'm sure the scribes were there. You killed him. He's dead. He's murdered. You killed this man. They're trying to stir the crowd up. Remember, they want confrontation so that they can take Christ and haul him off and stone him. They're out in the public square and they're attacking Jesus. I love Jesus. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't defend himself. He walks over and he takes her and lifts her up. Or him. Why did I say her? I don't know. By the hand. Your moment. Yeah. <laughs> he lifts her up by the hand walks her. This is just like the little girl that he healed earlier, right? Just, just lift her up. There's no secret signs, passing of the hands. He, everything is open. Everybody see there's no sleight of hand here. There's no murmuring, some secret incantation. Everything is right there for everybody. This is why they don't believe, because they're expecting all the secrecy that these exorcists and stuff do. And he just walks over you know, remember the, the guy on the stretcher that they lowered through the roof? Yeah. Jesus didn't even touch him. He just told him, get up, take your bed, go home. Yeah, there, there's none of this <coughs> whispering in ears and, yeah, dancing around. And, you know. No, he just does this. This is what makes it so big. This is why they hate him. Because he's showing all these other people off to be charlatans. Which they are. Which they are. Yeah, exactly. And we get to the apostles, or the, the disciples here. This healing perplexed the disciples. Why had they not been able to perform the miracle? Jesus answers, this kind comes out only by prayer and has been used. This idea has been used several times over the years. Um, that it, there's a magic key to unlock all the closed doors of healing. This idea that this kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer. Um, yeah, that there's some sort of mystic rite of passage to get the desired effect. Um, but that's not what the problem is, is it? Some of you might have older versions that say prayer and fasting. Uh, the whole idea of the fasting was added uh, in later manuscripts, it's not in the earliest manuscripts. But the word prayer here has a connotation of um, faith. It's not like the act of prayer. Uh, it's prayer and faith. The idea is belief. The prayer of belief. And Jesus had given the 12 authority over demons. Remember that way back? 
When they could not cast this one, why, why then couldn't they cast this one out? It's simple because they were relying on their own power. They were relying on the fact that Jesus had given them authority, but it was not the authority. It was the authority apart from God. There was a, the, the faith element. They needed to rely on God to know without a doubt the truth that Jesus later expresses that apart from him, we can do nothing. See, they began thinking it was them because they had been gifted specially to be able to do this. This is a problem with us as people. We begin to do things and God blesses us and causes things to happen and we think it's us. We see here, this is the demonstration of that if. Jesus, we see, he just commands, get out. We see the demon, he obeys, he leaves. But it's like he takes one, one more shot at this kid, right? <laughs> right, he takes one more shot. But then there's the disciples, and they want to know why. Prayer, and we misunderstand prayer, and this is a big problem in the West. Particularly, our view of prayer, again, is, is that God's just a cosmic vending machine. We, you know, we push the right buttons, and out comes our Snickers bar. Right? But that's not what prayer is. Prayer shows faith. Prayer submits to God. Prayer humbles us as we recognize we're incapable. See, there's a difference between uh, a prayer where um, God bring this demon out because I asked you to well the focus is on me right God's doing it because I asked as opposed to the penitent God th this poor kid is suffering help him not because I asked but because he's in need see there's, there's differences prayer shows faith prayer submits prayer humbles my guess is, is that the nine that were doing it, that's not the way they were praying. They were praying the other way, which is what the exorcist would do. Oh, I'm powerful. I have this rite of passage from the tomb of Solomon and all that. You're going to obey me, demon, and do what you're told. You're going to be found. You know, it's a whole show. You ever watch those guys on TV? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's a whole show. That's how they did it. And I'm sure these nine, they're getting suckered into this. Because remember, the scribes are there, and they're arguing over the manner in which it should be done. And all that. And they get, they, they get drawn away from Christ and his teachings into the worldly ways. And it doesn't work. Prayer is not a mystic word. Magic incantation, source of power, or authority. All of that is Christ. We are but the humble servant that he allows us to be used for it. Not the first time there's been a problem with this. These are the disciples. They've been with Jesus two and a half years. You would think they would know better, right? <laughs> they've gone out. They've served. They've listened and all that. This is very reminiscent of another story in Scripture where a very similar thing happens. Anybody know the story? 
No. I'll read it to you. It comes from Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 to 13. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed at Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for gain, grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. You remember that story? <laughs> now, how did it end? Yeah, verse 12. <laughs> and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Here's Moses. Who knew God better? This is more than 40 years of walking with the Lord, seeing him, hearing him speak directly to him. He goes to the tabernacle, plants his face in the dirt and calls upon the Lord, and he shows up. And doesn't just show up, he speaks to him audibly. Moses, what you need? Oh, the people are thirsty, Lord. Okay, here's what you're going to do. Go over to the rock and talk to it. Yeah, okay. No problem. Moses just listens, right? He gets up and he goes forth. The problem is he uses some words that he shouldn't. He incorporates himself into the Trinity, which is a no-no. Uh, where are we? Verse um, well, 10, there it is. Verse 10, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we, we 
what we? Me, Aaron, and God. Where are we? Who's performing the miracle? God. Yeah. And then he strikes it. He doesn't do what God said, does he? Yeah. See, this is... Here's the, here's the nine. We've been given the authority. We've been out. We have done healings. We've cast out demons and all that. It didn't work. We've got a problem here. Jesus shows up and he just does it. Why didn't it work for us? This only comes out with prayer. That, that's a simple statement, but is it prayer? Is it having the right words that you not spend enough time? No, the, the prayer is the idea that requires faith, humility, all those things, submission to God. Moses had the same problem. He didn't submit. He didn't show humility. He knew God would do it, and he included himself as part of it. He raises himself up before the people, and God punishes him. I mean, he says it right here. Because you did not believe in me. This is God telling Moses, you didn't believe in me. Who would not? I mean, how does, it, how does Moses not have faith? The guy knows. But he didn't believe. He believed in himself. Is what happened. <coughs> See, it's not that he didn't believe God. He knew God existed. I mean, if there was a man on the earth that knew God and <coughs> believed in God, the problem is so do the demons, don't they? Mm -hmm. They know better than any of us. They don't have faith. It's not that they don't know. See, the secret is knowing who God is and humbling and submitting to him. Believing that if it's going to happen, it's going to be through him. We, we get ourselves caught up, don't we? Mm -hmm. We get caught up in ourselves or in our church or in our pastor. or We, we put our faith everywhere but in him. And then when it fails, we blame him. Oh, it was God's fault. Which is the whole other part that you didn't make me holy in the eyes of the people. You desecrated God in front of the people. That's what he was punished for. That's the problem with the disciples. They got in this argument with the scribes over the proper way to do it. It's, it's all about God. You say, I don't know. God does it. That's not a cop-out. That's the truth. It's all about him and what he does. Not what I do. Comment, question. I think it's <clears throat> human nature when God uses you in a great way, like He used the disciples, you get yourself all puffed up. Puffed up? I love that word. That's a great <laughs> word. We become puffed up yep. <laughs> in Christ. Paul warns us about it. I think He uses that very word. Don't puff, get puffed up. It, it's not about us. It's all about him. How are we doing? Go ahead. I bet the scribes thought they were winning when they could, when the disciples couldn't do it. I'm sure they did. Because <clears throat> their argument was between them and the disciples. Well, they thought he had them on the ropes, I'm sure. When yeah. Jesus finally shows up, what's going on here? Oh, uh, yeah, now we're going to get him. See, his disciples couldn't do it. And they've got to be using the same, you know, the same magic trick. <laughs> it won't work for him either. Except it's not a magic trick. <laughs> this is God of the universe. 
I, I gotta wonder if they didn't cringe when they bring the demon possessed boy to him and all of a sudden he reacts like every other demon possessed person that ever comes in front of Christ and, go, and wonder if they're like oh no here we go again things to take with us. We can confidently approach Jesus with life's challenges. He will hear us out. That's not the issue. We must admit our shortcomings when it comes to faith and trust in Christ. This is where we humble ourselves before him. We come in prayer humbly. And we tend to chop that last part off because we don't want to be humble. I'm the son of, you know, the son of Jesus. I'm his brother. I'm all those things that we like to talk about, how I can crawl up in his lap and all that. And we take off the humility part of this. Yes, our position in Christ makes us a son of God. But we are not the son of God. Ours is a position of humility. We're there because he allows it. Not that he's going to turn us away. Not that he's going to renege on the deal. But there is needs to be the humility. It isn't us. We are not Christ. We may be brothers. By adoption, we're not the son. We must recognize our shortcomings and have faith that includes humility. That we recognize our shortcomings. Yes, we can boldly approach. That's true. But so is this. That we are the penitent that comes humbly before the holy God. Lastly, we can see God's power demonstrated through our prayers. He does answer our prayers, not because of us, because of Christ, because of what he did, because he adopted us into the family. It has nothing to do with us. There's no proper mojo, prayer, words, any of that. It's our humility that he expects. Let's close with prayer. Father, we come with all humility to your throne. And we thank you. We thank you for giving us the authority, the power, the ability to come and boldly ask and kneel before you. But Lord, we help us to remember that it is a matter of kneeling before you that the right you granted us is that right granted because of what Jesus did. And we humbly request that you hold us to a remembrance of that fact, that we would honor you holy, set apart before all people in our prayers. In Jesus' name.